Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Man, you find uh, Genesis chapter 27, there is no way we would be able to cover everything that I've gotten written down this morning. Stanton said I brought the whole library. Um, but I do want to share with you just for a few minutes um, something that's on my heart out of Genesis chapter 27. I think we'll set this story, we'll set it up good for where we want to go. All right, you in Genesis 27? All right, I want to read something with you, um, read something to you, rather, if I could find it again. Lord, we love you. I want to talk on the subject this morning of really being ordinary. You can talk it, you can make it identity or whatever, but I really want to talk on the subject of just being ordinary. How many knows that what God is looking for is just the real you? We talked about the imposter last week, and... Um, and I got into that a little bit. And really, all of that led as I had a, on Tuesday and Wednesday, had an encounter with the Lord. And I really felt like that the only way I can describe to you is the Lord just really pulled some things out that was deep inside. I felt like he went to just, just my most inner being and just uh, removed some things uh, from me. But I feel like the Lord is just looking for us to be, um, just to be ordinary. And how many knows that's good enough? How he created you is good enough. You with me? Y'all right? Listen to this, spirituality is not one compartment or, or sphere of life. Rather, it is a lifestyle. The process of life lived with the vision of faith. Sanctity lies in discovering my true self, moving toward it, and living out of it. Thomas Merton, which was a monk, after years in the monastery, this is what he said, begin to see that the highest spiritual development was to be ordinary or to become fully a man in the way that few human beings succeed in becoming so simply and naturally themselves. The measures of what others might be if society did not distort them with greed or ambition or lust or desperate want. When we, listen to this, we encounter God in the ordinaries of life, not in the search for spiritual highs and extraordinary mystical experiences, but in our simple presence in life. All right, I'm going to finish with this. If I must seek an identity outside of myself, then the accumulation of wealth, power, and honor eludes me. That's good, ain't it? All right, so let's go right here. I want to, I've, I've pinned down a pile of stuff throughout my, study and just for the sake of time let's don't well we'll we'll, we'll just get in here and I, I know how to stop and then we'll 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 pick it back up when we when we have uh more appropriate time to do it so let's go to genesis 27 genesis chapter 27 i have a class on tuesday nights that the men from the house of grace come they come over to the youth room and i'm telling you this past wednesday night i i uh i left out of there and I come over here and um, 
uh, and I told I told Stanton on Wednesday morning. I said if I ever had a message needed recording, I wish it was that one. I mean, it was just we talked for almost uh, hour and a half or a little longer, and I mean, it was just rolling. Those men are just hungry to hear hear the word of the Lord, and it was just flowing in there. So Genesis 27. If it doesn't seem like if you're following on the screens, I'm gonna be reading out of the Passion Translation. So Genesis 27, it says, When Isaac was very old and blind, he called for his oldest son Esau and asked him, My son, I am here, father, Esau answered. As you can see, I am now an old man, Isaac said, and I may die any day now. So please take your hunting gear, your bow and your arrows, and go out in the field and hunt for some wild game for me. Then prepare me a savory meal, the food I love, and bring it to me. After I eat it, I will bless you from my innermost being before I die. Now, Rebecca was eavesdropping, eavesdropping on their conversation. So when Esau left for the field to go hunt for, for game to cook for Isaac, she found Jacob and said to him, I just overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare a savory meal for me. Afterward, I will bless you in the presence of Yahweh before I die. Listen carefully, my son, and do everything I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two, two of the best young goats, and I'll cook them for your father and prepare a delicious meal the way he loves it. Then you take it to him to eat, and your father will bless you before he dies. Jacob objected, but my brother Esau is covered with hair, and I'm a smooth skin. If my father feels my hairless skin, he'll know I'm not Esau. He'll think I'm a trickster, and I'll end up bringing a curse upon myself rather than a blessing. My son, his mother said, let any curse against you fall on me alone. Just do what I say and go and get the goats for me. So he went out and got the goats and brought them to his mother. She prepared a delicious meal just the way his father loved it. Then Rebecca picked out the best clothes of her older son Esau and put them on her younger son Jacob. She covered Jacob's hands and the soft part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed Jacob the tasty dish and the bread that she had prepared, and he took them to Isaac. Father, Jacob said. Isaac replied, which one of my sons are you? Jacob answered, it is I, Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you ask. Please sit up, eat some of the delicious game you love so so." that you may give me your innermost blessing. Isaac asked his son, How in the world did you find game so quickly, my son? Yahweh your God caused it to come right to me, he replied. I've prayed this prayer many times in the tree stand. Come on. Lord, bring him out. Lord, when is he coming? Listen to this. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come closer that I may touch you, my son. I need to really know for you certain I need to know certain that you are Esau. So Jacob inched closer to his father Isaac, who felt his skin and said, You sound like Jacob, but your hands are Esau's. Because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau, Isaac tricked. Isaac was tricked and did not recognize that it was really Jacob. And he was about to give him his blessing. Isaac asked him again, Are you really my son Esau? Jacob answered, I am. Then bring me the food, then bring the food to me, Isaac said, and let me eat my son's game. Then I will give you my blessing. 
So Jacob gave his father the food and he ate it. And he brought him wine and he drank it. Then Isaac said to him, my son, come near and kiss me. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac recognized the smell of his son's clothes and blessed him saying, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a lush field that Yahweh has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and the fatness of earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. May you be master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. There's a lot that you could preach out of this, but I just want to use the simple text of this morning of just being ordinary or about identity. How many knows that we entered the house of God a lot of Sundays just like Jacob walked in to his father's room. We don't really believe in our heart. It's not really a settled issue that I remember, he, I remember hearing this of this great man of God that was dying and he had all of his spiritual sons around his bed as he was dying. And they said, you know, tell us what is the greatest revelation that you've ever received. Tell us the greatest revelation you've ever received. They were standing there, pen in hand, ready to pin down the greatest revelation that their mentor had ever received from God. And he looks at these spiritual sons and he says this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. How many is one thing to know in this room that you believe God loves you? It's a whole other thing to believe that you're liked by God the way you are this morning. That God is not only in love with you, but he's actually likes you and he enjoys you. So in this text... Jacob couldn't believe that he was good enough to receive the blessing. So he dresses up into something. He dresses into his brother's identity to believe that he can, he can be blessed by God. Now listen to this. Bill Johnson says this. When you discover who God made you to be, you will never want to be anyone else. How many knows that God chose you the way you are and he doesn't need another John Bagley. He doesn't need another T.D. Jakes. He doesn't need another Jensen Franklin. He just simply needs to be you for who you are. For the Bible says you are wonderfully you are wonderfully made in his image. We're wonderfully made in his image. Now, identity when we talk about this, when I, were grow, when I was growing up as, as a young kid, we never heard anything about identity theft. Somebody stealing your identity with, with, the, uh, with the internet and all of the stuff that we do online. Now we, we face a crisis with people being able to uh, take your identity. But listen to this. An identity crisis is a term that, that is, is used when someone is confused or unaware of his or her identity. We, I quoted this last week or a few weeks ago. The phrase was coined and, uh, and developed by a psychologist named Eric Erickson who believed that the formation of identity was, was, was one of the most important parts of a person's life. So in psychology, Eric Erickson said that um, identity crisis when we're confused or unaware of who we are. How many knows there's a lot of people confused or unaware of who they are? Come on, I'm going somewhere with this. You just got to give me a little bit of later groundwork. 
Hopefully, by the end of 2020, we won't have to dress up like nobody else. Hopefully, by the end of 2020, we won't be a church pretending to be somebody else. We won't have to look to Bethel. We won't have to look to the ramp. We'll realize that what God has in Sparks is just as good as what God has in Kansas City, what he has in Reading. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, God wants authenticity, and he wants you just as you are, and you're good enough. Come on, somebody. Come on, y'all. We need to train up preachers just to be who they are. You don't have to shout and holler like I do. It, hollering does not make you more anointed. Come on, somebody. But what causes your words to have weight is experience. Experiencing God and experiencing life. I tell these young preachers all the time, you ain't going to have no real power till you get 30 anyhow. It takes a little while to gain some wisdom just that only life can teach. Are you with me now? It's one thing to shout up in here, get you two kids that cry all night long, and get you a mortgage and an SUV. Then let's see where the shout's at. Come on, somebody. How many know life has a way of teaching lessons? Are you with me? So that's why when I started pastoring when I was 26, I prayed to God, let me get 30 where some people can show some respect. All right. Listen to this. So <clears throat> this phrase was coined. This phrase was coined by Eric Erickson, who believed that the, that the formation of identity was one of the most important parts of a person's life. So if psychologists believe that identity is one of the most important formations that happens in life, now listen to this. How does this process, how do, how do, how do I form my identity? Who, 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 who are you? If people ask you that, well, who are you? Who are you, David? Who are you, Steve? Some would identify themselves, well, I'm a white American. I'm an African-American. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm a country boy. I'm a city boy. Who are you? How many knows this was asked of Jesus? Jesus was very concerned by who people thought he was. Come on, y'all. Y'all go, y'all, we okay? Whom do men say that I am? He knew who he was, but he wanted to see what other people thought he was. Listen to this. Eric Erickson says this, that identity is one of the most important things that happens, the formation of that in your life. Now, this is why psychologists teach, that you form your identity. Most people form their identity. It says that we form our identity by the opinions and the judgments that we perceive others judge us. So my identity doesn't come, listen to this, my identity is not coming from the Bible. My identity is not coming by what God says. I'm just showing you one way. I do agree with this is how we form, but there's a whole nother way, and I want to preach the other way, the more excellent way. I want you, we, we can't afford to have a, we cannot afford to have a thought in our head did not originate in the mind of God. Come on, somebody. Come on, y'all. So, so I form my identity by the way I perceive that Steve is judging me. Well, because I'm heavy or maybe overweight, I can, I can perceive that you form a judgment of me that I'm lazy. Although anybody that knows me knows that I'm not lazy. Are you with me now? Perceive judgments. Because we don't measure up as a young teenage girl what the cosmetology magazine declares that we should be, we get an identity crisis because we perceive, because we lack what this one lacks, that we're not good enough. All right.
Now, I was in a class. John, do you have this video ready? Hold up right there, Adam. I'm good right there. Thank you. I've got the... I've got 20 minutes left right here. I'm going to roll this. So I'm in a leadership class. And to be honest with you, I thought this class was going to last four hours, but I listened to this guy for eight hours teach. And he was one of the, one, probably one of the best leadership classes I'd ever been to. And, um, and so, Matt, I think you were in there too. And so I just scratched like, I mean, tons of notes. This guy was a homeless guy, um, raised very, very rough, and now has a Ph.D., and he has changed an entire, he, he changed an entire city. Uh, I believe it was Cambodia, if that's correct. And so anyhow, I'm sitting in this class, and he's talking about from leadership perspective, and he's talking about identity, and he's talking about purpose, and he's talking about how that we perceive other people thinks about us. I'm just trying to tell you, this is a large part of our makeup, how we handle life, how the relationships we have in our life, how we treat our children, everything, how your approach is to God is how you believe what God thinks about you. And it comes from perceived judgments of other people. Now watch this. He showed this clip. This is one of the most powerful clips I've ever seen to show this. I'm a forensic artist. Worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I'd never been, and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them. They couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit, Hmm. especially when I smile. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. What would be your most prominent feature? I kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today I'm going to ask you some questions about uh, a person you met earlier, and I'm going to ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. Cute nose. She had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. So here we are. This is the sketch that you helped me create. And that's a sketch that somebody described of you. So yeah, that's... She looks closed off and fatter, sadder too. Mm -hmm. The second one looks more open, friendly, and happy. Mm -hmm. I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices and the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. It couldn't be more critical to your happiness. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. 
We spend a lot of time as women analyzing and trying to fix the things that aren't quite right. And we should spend more time appreciating the things that we do like. Could you imagine every day living your life and the only thought you had in your head was what God said about you? That if he be for you, who could be against you? That you're the head and not the tail. That you're above and not beneath. That your sins he holds against you no more. Imagine living that kind of life of freedom. Come on, somebody. How many knows it's possible? That's why we're talking about it. If we live our life, if I live my life by the opinions of others, what other things about it, it is highly unlikely that you will end up with an empowering identity if it is shaped by the judgments and the opinions of others. Now, I want to get to this. How did Jesus answer the question of who am I? More than 120 times, listen to this, Jesus refers to the Father. And 85 times, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. John 10 verse 30 says this, I and my Father are one. Jesus' identity is interwoven in being located in the Father. Consider the possibilities that would open up for us if our identity was interwoven with God, if we believe that, if I believe that me and God are one. How many knows this, that, that uh, I'm not talking about me being God, but I'm talking about God in me. Are you with me now? And so how many knows this in Psalms 133 that we quoted that how blessed it is when the brethren dwell together in unity, that we quoted that how good it is when the Methodist, the Baptist, the Foursquare, Nazarene, Tangerine, all of us come together or just within the church when we're going to have a potluck dinner, how good it is for us to dwell together in unity. There's something more deeper to that. Come on, somebody. Jesus is our elder brother and how pleasant it is when you and him dwell together in that perfect unity and harmony. All right, you with me? So look at this. It says um, two gospels. I want to go. I want to look at the life of Jesus. How did Jesus get his identity? You okay? If you'll give me fifteen minutes, we'll finish this quick. Listen to this. So if my identity, according to psychologists, is formed by my perceptions of what other people think, and my also the identity crisis is when I'm unaware of who I am. Uh, so how do I get a solid identity to become whom God says that I, I could be and be free to be who I truly am? Not that I have to dress up to go to try to act like somebody else to be considered something great. So how, how did Jesus did it? Listen to this. The Gospels record his genealogy. Two of them do. And Matthew traces him back to Abraham because Matthew's audience is of a Jewish. He's writing to the Jewish people. So he's going to write him back to the son of Abraham. Luke's gospel, which is the most complete gospel, is writing to a, 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 a wider spread audience. And so Luke traces him all the way back to Adam because Jesus is not just what the Son of God. He's also what the Son of Man. So Jesus didn't just haphazardly, haphazardly show up. 
there are many extraordinary events surrounding his birth to ensure that his parents and others knew who he was. Now think about our children. I do know this at Bethel, and this should be done really in every church, that at Bethel they keep a file of every child in there. And every prophetic word that is given out over a child, they log that down to have that on record so that we know that when the child is 16, come on somebody, and things start trying to shake with their identity, we can remind them what God has already said about them. Imagine parenting your child. Come on, somebody. We, we, we think the scripture says train up a child in the way that they should go. We took that as we got to take them to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. That is not what that verse is referring to. It says train up a child. You have wisdom and insight into their purpose, their calling, their future, and their identity. Come on, somebody. Through the Holy Spirit, and you're training that child in the way that they should go. This is what we've done even with ministries and other ministers. We want to train the child in the way that we think they should go. Come on, somebody. We want to clone another priest. He can never be my clone. Come on, somebody. He's got to be who God called him to be. He's got to be whom God called him to be. It doesn't mean he's going to preach like me, talk like me, and dress like me. God wants him the way he created him. So think about this. Jesus was set up with extraordinary events happening around his birth because God did not want his parents to be mistaken that this was some ordinary child. You don't have an ordinary child either. Come on, y'all. Y'all might as well help me and work with me up in here. Come on now. So you don't have an ordinary child either. I got three boys and each one of their personalities are, are different. So, listen to this. Go to Luke chapter 1, verse 31. All right. Luke chapter 1, verse I'm going to just start in verse 29 here because this is where it just breaks the heading out in the passion. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over that this may mean to her. But the angel reassured her saying, do not yield to, do not re- yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and, and will be known as the son of the highest. And the Lord your God will enthrone him as king on his ancestors David's throne. He will reign as king of Israel forever and his reign will and his reign will have no limit. We read this and, and, and we think about Mary being some 25-year-old college graduate and she has an encounter and the angel of the Lord appears to her and tells her she's fixing to be supernaturally overshadowed by God. She's going to become pregnant. Come on, without knowing a man, she's going to give birth to the Son of God and he shall be king forever. Most theologians believe that Mary was 13 years old. Can you imagine a 13-year-old child 
being overshadowed by God hearing this. How many knows the Bible didn't say that she just said, man, that's the craziest thing I ever believed. The Bible says that she kept these things and pondered them in her heart. Don't think that Mary wasn't recording what was happening. Come on, somebody. God was revealing to her, this is no ordinary, this ain't no ordinary child. You, you, you with me now? So he wanted the environment around Jesus because psychologists now determine that the ones we hang around, the ones that are judging us, he wanted everyone that was going to be around Jesus, Jesus at the early stages of his life to know this is supernatural going on right here. God, I'm trying to help us right here. Stay with me. Listen to me. I know this is a little bit like broccoli, but I'm going to get to some cake in a minute to put a smile on the face. So listen, God made sure in the developmental years of this child being on the earth that everyone around him knew that there was something supernatural at work here. Are you with me now? All right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. I was talking, having a conversation with my oldest son the other day, and I told him, I said, son, I said, the things that I've had to beat in life, you will never have to wrestle. And, and it just goes back to I love my father, and I'm very appreciative of everything he ever did for me, and I would never disrespect him. But I wish that my father had, I, my dad was not, he was not a born-again believer when I was growing up. My dad just believed he was just some, just to be some blue collar, even though he was talent beyond, had talent beyond his wild of imagination. What limited him was his own beliefs in, his, in himself. Come on, y'all. Hello. You know what limits you? What you believe about yourself. You know what limits God up in this room? It's not God. I can tell you that right now. He said all things are possible. Hello, did he not say all things are possible? But he said all things are possible to who? Them that believe. So our belief of who he is and what he is capable of is what hindering him on the earth. So Brennan Manning teaches this, the greatest missile, the greatest missile ever shot out of hell against the Christian church was the missile of self-hatred, which turns into low self-esteem. Low self-esteem is not humility. Humility is restrained power. Humility is know that you deserve the greatest seat, but yet you choose the back seat. Come on, somebody. But when we have not, notice how Proverbs, how Proverbs, and listen at David, how he's instructing Solomon. And when he's a child, when you sit before kings, when you sit before kings, there is a basketball coach that has never won a national championship. But every year that he gets recruits, the first thing that that basketball coach does is he hires somebody with etiquette to come in. And he teaches those players how to sit down to a five-course meal, and, and he teaches them how which fork they should eat with and all of this. And so one of the guys come in and he said, Coach, he said, why are we spending a whole week on teaching players etiquette and how to eat a nice meal and how to eat off a real silver and fine china? He said, because when you win the national championship, you get invited to the White House to, to have a meal and to be recognized, and I want the men ready when they get there. Come on, somebody. That is... A, what if we had pastors and youth pastors and parents in this room that raised their kids with that type of identity? When you sit before kings, this is the way you act. 
Come on, somebody. I don't care if you're living in the worst impoverished conditions in this community. T.D. Jakes talks about how he was raised, and he talks about growing up in poverty, but he said every Sunday afternoon, his dad would drive that car through the richest neighborhoods in the community, and he said, the world is yours, T.D. Thomas Dexter Jakes, you can be anything you want to be. I'm telling you, we are held back by the limitations between our ears. God is for us, and if he be for you, then who in the world could stand against you? Right. So we got some supernatural stuff happening here. So where are we at? Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 says this. Let's start in verse 19, 18. Lord, somebody called Brian Simmons, emailed them and tell them to put these, I mean, the, the little things in there. I mean, man, I can't really see this. I even got glasses on. This was how Jesus, this was how Jesus, God's anointed one, was born. His mother Mary had promised, had, had promised Joseph to be his wife. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, her fiancé Joseph was a righteous man, full of integrity, and he didn't want to disgrace her. But when he learned of her pregnancy... He secretly planned to break the engagement. While he was still debating with himself about what to do, he fell asleep and had a what? Supernatural dream. An angel from the Lord appeared to him in clear light and said, Joseph's descendant of David, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home as your wife because the power of the Holy Spirit has, con has conceived a child in her womb. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Savior for he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. Supernatural stuff going on. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem near Jerusalem during the reign of King Herod. After Jesus' birth, a group of spiritual priests from the east came to Jerusalem and inquired of the people, where is the child who is born king of the Jewish people? We observed his star rising in the sky, and we've come to bow before him in worship. King Herod was shaken to the core when he heard this, not knowing only, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard this news. So he called a meeting of the Jewish rulers and priests and religious scholars demanding that they tell him where he promised, where the promised Messiah was, was, was prophesied to be born. He will be born in Bethlehem in the land of, of Judah. They told him because the prophecy states, and you, little Bethlehem, are not in insignificant among the clans of Judah. For out of you will emerge the shepherd king of, of, of my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned, secretly summoned the spiritual priests from the east to a certain, the exact time the star first appeared. And he told them, now go to Bethlehem, carefully look there for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I can go and bow down and worship him too. And so they left on their way to Bethlehem. And suddenly the same star that had been in the east reappeared. Amazed, they watched as it went ahead of them and stopped directly over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, 
and were overcome, falling to the ground at his feet. They worshiped him, and they opened their treasure boxes. Look at this, full of gifts, and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When the wise men showed up, they did not come bring no $20 bill to lay at his feet. Most theologians believe the gift that they brought up in that house financed his ministry while he was on the earth. Come on, y'all. How many knows this is some supernatural stuff? Why? Because God wanted around his son in the developmental years people who knew who he was. Let me say this. You are never going to fulfill your potential or your God-calling destiny, your God-given destiny, until you get people around you to believe in you. Lord, have mercy the time be flying. Somebody went by, Mr. Tom must move the clock faster. Listen to this. At his baptism, let's go. We can go over this again later, but I want to finish a couple things up right here. I got to get this to you right here before you leave. At his baptism, his baptism is recorded in all four of the Gospels. All four of the Gospels record the baptism. Only a handful of, only a handful of things is recorded in all of the Gospels. In all, but his baptism is recorded. In John chapter 1, Jesus, I mean, in John records the baptism as Jesus coming to the River Jordan. He says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. There is a pronouncement to everyone standing by. Behold the Lamb of God. This is him who takes away the sin of the world. As he approaches the River Jordan, he goes down into the Jordan and he comes back. Here is the first time the audible voice of God is going to be released in the New Testament. The first time that the audible voice of God is to be released in the New Testament. What does God say? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now God has introduced himself as a father with a beloved son on the earth. He wanted his identity to be secure in what? Being a preacher? Come on. Being a Republican? Being a Democrat, he wanted his identity secure in what? Being a son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hears this announcement of sonship, and the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon him. What happens now after he's full of the Spirit? The Bible says he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. You with me? Y'all right? Four people is, tap your neighbor and say, he's getting close. The three temptations from Satan were designed to cause Jesus to either doubt his identity or cause him to do something to prove his identity. If you are. If you are. That's every assignment of the hell that comes against our life to doubt us, to make us doubt who we are. If he can get you to question who you are, he's already got you defeated. Come on, y'all. God doesn't trust what he doesn't test. There will be times of testing that will appear to completely contradict your identity. The first test was a test of Jesus' sonship, his ability to resist accepting power that was reserved for deity. Remember this in Matthew 4? He said, if you be the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus had just got off of a 40-day fast. How many knows he was hungry, ready to eat? So the first test was a test of his sonship. Even though he was fully God, yet he humbled himself and became a man. 
as a man, he can't pull at any given moment what's reserved for deity. Because Jesus only did what he saw his father do. So now the enemy's in his face. If you be the son of God, if you are who you say you are, command these stones to become bread. So the first test was on his sonship. Would he stay at a place limiting himself as a man, as a son submitted to God, trusting God on his provision? The second test was a test on his trust as God as a protector. The enemy said, if you be the son of God, if you are who you, if you are the son of God, jump off this cliff, for he will keep his angels charge over you, bearing you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said, it is written, thou shalt not what? Tempt the Lord thy God. So the second, the second test was on trusting God to be his father. Now, let me tell you what most of our fears are in this room. Most of us fear what is recorded in Matthew chapter 6 that we should never worry about. Housing, clothing, and food. You are, he said, consider the birds. Have you ever observed birds? I love to be in the woods, and I love to hunt, so I've seen a bunch of birds. When it gets daylight, I've never seen a bird sitting there biting his toenails, worried about what he's going to eat that day. God provides every day. I've never seen a bird worried about how much money he's got invested into the stock market. God provides every day. I've never seen a bird fretting over that he's not going to get the nest necessarily ready so that he can have babies or she can have babies. Let me clear this up in today's time. Hello. So how she can have babies. You don't see that. He said, consider the birds. Now, when he tells us to look at the birds who are neither investing, come on, I'm not, I'm not downing investing. Come on, somebody, who are not fretting over a paycheck, but yet God is providing for them. Then he says, how much more are you than the birds? Most of my fear is built up over something I should never be afraid of. Has anybody walked with God more than 10 years up in this room can attest the fact that God's going to take care of you? Somebody said this. I heard somebody say last week, somebody said God's an on-time God. They said God's a nick of time God. You know what I'm saying? Showed up in the nick of time. But he's going to show up. You with me? All right, so the first test is what? Over his sonship, whether he can stay submitted, not reserving something that he's got to prove. Listen to this. Those who unsecure in their identity always feel like they have to prove who they are. I can tell you big time in the prophetic ministry, this is why you got to give a word every time somebody's gathered because you don't know who you are. Prophets are not known by what they reveal, but the secrets that they keep before heaven that they could take in intercessor prayer. Get some of that. Come on, are you with me? Listen, if you secure in your identity as a preacher, you don't feel like you got to preach every time to be noticed who you are. I was preaching on the job to four men on a band crew before I ever had a mic in my hand. Come on, somebody. So be secure in our identity of who we are. 
The second one on trust. Will you trust that God will take care of you? Every day of our life, God's taking care of us. The last one says this. Jesus knew his assignment was to come recover that which was lost. And what was lost was not just humanity, but the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Come on, somebody. Adam forfeited the deed in Genesis, and now Jesus has got to recover what's lost. And so the enemy had that because when he forfeited, he handed it over to the enemy. He's got the keys. Are you with me now? So he looks at Jesus and he said, if you will bow down what? And worship, that's all the enemy wants. Worship. If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you the kingdoms of the earth. Let's translate that. What was in his identity, this is what he says. Hey, Bump's sitting down listening to Pastor John try to teach me something about the Bible. I can go do this next week. I'll never forget when I was in my early 20s in a class with Pastor L.A. Joyner, and this is what he said. He said when he first felt like the Lord had called him to preach, he said this. He said that he went, him and another guy received a call to preach at the same time. They went to the pastor and told him, said, God's called us to preach the gospel. He said, that's great, son. He said, meet me in my office such and such day at 5.30 in the morning. They went at 5.30 in the morning. He said the pastor sat down with his cup of coffee, had his Bible open on his desk, and went to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He starts reading the book of John to him. He said after about three to four weeks of that, he said that the, the other young man said, listen here, God ain't called me to sit in here for you to read the Bible to me. I said, God called me to preach. Hello. He said 20 years later, he said that he was standing in Dallas, Texas at the airport and he saw this man. 20 years later, Pastor L.A. said I'd pastored churches and planted churches all over the place. He looked and he met this guy and this guy 20 years later was still doing what? Trying to find his way into the ministry. There's one way to serve in the church and it starts at the back row, friend. All leadership starts at the back row of the bus. How you handle the back seat of the bus will determine what you will do when you're in the driver seat of the bus Good Lord. All right, so this identity thing this identity thing when we're unsecure in our identity we feel like we got to prove something Jesus never felt like he had to prove anything he was secure in whom God said he was so let's look at this I'm going to be done all right the people we have around us. I was in a meeting last week with a highly educated person, whatever, and, and we, we, we were doing a meeting, and Catherine, she was very wanting to know how it went when it got home. I would just tell you this. Five years ago, six years ago, I would have crumbled in this meeting. I would have felt like that I had any wait to say anything in this meeting. First of all, when you look at my schooling, my senior year, my math book was paper. That'll tell you right there all you need to know. The advanced classes I had was welding and construction. I was an advanced welder and advanced in construction. I had ninth grade literature, ninth and tenth grade. How many knows, I think it was Mark Twain said this, he never let school get in the way of his education. Because I've been educated a lot since then. You with me? 
Even Teddy Roosevelt, if he knew that you were coming to meet him and he knew that your passion was duck hunting, he would at least read three to four books on duck hunting so that he would be able to carry on a conversation with you when you arrived. So Catherine said, why do you love to read? Because I love knowledge. You with me? So we're sitting in this meeting and he pulls a book out that I know that's trumped by all of educators all across this nation. And if you read the book, it's like rubbing sandpaper on your legs. It's that dry. But I had read the book three times. And so when he did, I said, yes, sir, I understand. And I start quoting the book to him. Didn't we get in a little bit of Greek mythology? I quote that, some stuff on that with him. And we go another few more books in there. And then he realizes, even though he's looking at some fat, bald-headed man sitting in Sparks, Georgia, he realizes I'm not some ignorant country. Hick. You with me? But what gave me, what is the process in my life? Because you got to understand, we can't help but the way we're raised. I'm done. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to close, okay? So if, if you come from the way I came from, and then people look at you and say you called to greatness, you can't conceive that. You, you can't believe it. Can, y'all with me up in here? You okay? You cannot believe it. Are you, you mean to tell me that you're going to sit down with people in New York City? Could you imagine people looking in West Virginia at the young PD, Thomas Dexter, and say that he's going to do business in Manhattan? They would have laughed. Matter of fact, the young elders in the church told him he shouldn't even pursue ministry because you got to live so bad that people won't, he won't even want to hear you communicate. How many knows if you don't have a strong identity, you fall right there? But how many knows he doesn't have a problem with people trying to hear him communicate? You all right? So events start, God puts events in our life and people in our life that can see in us what we can't see in ourselves. This is the purpose of mentors. See, a mentor can see beyond the makeup, can see beyond the cracks, and say, my God, there's something in there. What does the MLB draft do? They, they look at potential. They're not, going, they're not spending $6 million on a kid in high school for what he's got in high school. They're investing in potential, what he could be. I believe his frame's going to be around 6364. I believe he's going he's got an average bat but he shows power at times. We can develop that. This is all about mentors. And we have got to raise mentors up in the house of God. Come on somebody that believe in what you have. Man Shane, you got a big vision and I don't even know how to get it all together, but there's people in this room that God has placed in this body that can figure that big vision out to show you how to build it. We just got to believe in him. Come on, somebody. If we're ever going to be a house to raise up entrepreneurs and kings, come on, somebody, and believe in wealth creation through owning businesses, we've got to believe in each other and have people to speak into us and say, you can do it. So, I'm going to close with this. So, I, I knew that, let me read this last statement right here. All right. 
There was no identity crisis in the life of Jesus Christ. He knew who he was. He knew where he'd come from and why he was here. And he knew where he was going. And, and, and when you are that liberated, then you can serve. So here's the deal. The whole time I told you last week, let me clear this up. I listen to this country song. You heard me say this last week. It's about this little one-horse town or whatever. And I just believe that's the type of deal that God's called me to. It doesn't mean I'll be limited to a one-horse town. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody got a place called home. God's just been, there's something about if you can remain who you are. Let me tell you a guy that you can watch on TV who's always remained who, you, who he was. That's Jensen Franklin at Free Chapel. When he goes there with 250 people, the fame's never changed a man. There's something about when Faith Hill gets up and says, you know what I'm saying, I'm still, I'm still a Mississippi girl. I may wear, a, but I still wear my old ball cap, ride my kids, piggyback. They may know me all around the world, but I'm still a Mississippi girl. It's about staying in the lane that God called you with, okay? Are you with me now? Being secure in what God called you. And so I told you this when God was speaking to me, and I found that out of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and God said, I've called your life to be the bottom. I've called you to row from the bottom of the ship. Now, let me tell you something. I cried for two days, not, not because I, I knew that the whole time, but I didn't realize how much imposter that I had developed in 2019. Are you with me now? Trying to get to the next big thing. Well, I'm on the biggest thing that's available in this region. Come on, somebody. Hello. Are you with me now? Are you with me now? You don't build buildings like, like we see downtown here, that some people's built down here. They're not building that to try to get somewhere... I'm just saying for a long time, I believe God has desired to do something in this region. Are you with me now? That is supernatural. But he's got to have people inside of a movement that can see the potential and the destiny inside of people. So in this, so I, I go to this, and I, you you've heard me say this. A man gives me a very expensive pen, a gold Mont Blanc. So I'm thinking, why would somebody, first of all, why would somebody even pay $1,400 for a pen? Why would you do that? So I towed it for a year, not even knowing what I've been handed. Till I come across something and I'm reading. One of the most prestigious gifts you could give to someone is a pen. Because when you give someone a pen, it says to that person, I value what you have to say. So then when I read this statement, I go to God. God, this person would spend $1,400, $1,500 on a pen. Give me a pen because they're screaming, I value what you have to say. But the deal is, is you don't even believe in what you say. I'm not saying I don't believe the message, but you understand what I'm, I'm preaching. You don't believe you took that much value. God, I'm, I know I'm butchering this up. I don't, I, I, I don't, but what I'm just trying to say is this. You're never going to arrive at that potential. I know the plans. I've, I quoted that over everybody I prayed for this morning. Jeremiah 29 and 11. But that scripture was not given when they were living in the castles. It was given when they was in, they was in Babylonian captivity. And they never believed there would be a day getting free from that. Come on, somebody. You remember when Jeremiah told him, go buy the field. Did he not, Junior? He said, even when you're in captivity, you buy the field. Because one day, you're coming out of this mess. And you're going to own your own houses. Come on, somebody. 
So the mentor sees the potential. He gets in there. He says, my God. And so then, listen to this. Then, so I'm closing with this. So we got, we got kids, and we see kids cut up. They go out here in the left field, start cutting up left and right. So to how you get a kid back is now you got to start getting, you got to get back in youth group. You got to preach on sin. Quit drinking. Quit smoking. Quit whoremonging. Homosexuality just sin before God. And you just laying the law down left and right trying to get them back in. It'll never work. What you got to remind them is who they are. Because you will act out what you believe about yourself. How many of those when we was little we had, what was that? Uh, Froghorn, uh, what was it? The co- huh? Froghorn Leghorn, the chicken hawk. The chicken hawk was out there with the chickens hanging out. He was called to eat chickens, but he believed he was a chicken, so he was acting out what he believes. A man will always act out who he believes he is. But if we have people looking at these children, when you sit, when you sit before kings, put a knife to your throat. Consider his delicacies. First of all, what God is wanting to know if a man can sit there at that level and not sit there for himself, but sit there for the benefit of the people he's called to lead. If we can get there, if we can get to that level, sit before kings with the knife to a throat, consider his delicacies, what's before him, and we can do that to sit before that table of resources and realize that God's got me here not just to make me look good, come on somebody, but to benefit the people that I'm with, come on now, we will move all kind of treasures throughout this region. Let's believe who God says we are. Let's be free to be who we are. Now, I'm not going to lie. One of the things I like, I, I don't even know if I should go there. I'm not going to leave that for another day. Ain't no need to go in there. There's about 40 things in, in them turns, and we can't, we can't do that today. I've fasted since early yesterday afternoon. I'm fishing to go eat. How many of y'all ready to eat? There's a fast that everybody can do in this room. It's called the Darius Fast, and it's found in Daniel. It said he fasted from midnight to sunrise. I've been on a 40-year fast. How do some of these businessmen leave this little bitty town, drive to Buckhead, and sit before Ivy Leaguers? Because when they sit down, they're not sitting down with no identity that just was shaped in this little bitty town. They know who they are and who walked in the building with them. And if God be with you, y'all just don't know what's sitting among you right here. These people in this room flew to New York, had the chef at one of the greatest restaurants there to come out and sit at their table and cook the meal for them. With business execs all around this country at that table and then they jumped on Delta or whatever American Airlines bring them back you got to believe what God says you are and if God says you're going to stand before great you're going to stand before great now how do you get there what's the process to get there the Bible says he who excels in his gift will stand before great people so you craft your skill don't wait on your youth pastor to craft your skill. You craft your skill. 
You cut Bonanza off and open the book. Father, we thank you for this day. You leaving encouraged. I don't know. It's heavy up in this room. I love man, Jesus. <clears throat> How many won't be free to just be who you are? You with me? You with me? I mean, just be just be you. Authenticity is what God's after. He just wants to reel you. Notice how what Isaac had. He had a taste for wild game. That's what's wrong with the church. We're domesticated. Zoo life. God likes the wild habitat. He likes the wild habitat. The kingdom will never look like the zoo. The kingdom has ox in the stall. It stinks. Things get wild. Remember Jason Upton, do you really want to know where the wild things are? We are wild church with wild people with great destiny and purpose. Father, I, I thank you today for your word. I thank you today, Father, that we can settle in our hearts that you are looking for us just to be us. The simplicity of ordinary life, that's where the true spiritual depths are found. It's not in the magnificent search of intensive study, but it is found in the ordinaries of life just living in you. Spirituality is not compartmentalized to one part, but it is every life. It is, it is everyday life. Simply as a fish goes in water and breathes in the air, it's just like, that is just like, uh, just every day, like breathing. That's how we are with the Lord. So, Father, I just thank you, Lord, that just to help us to believe in ourselves. Help us to believe the great things that you have within our hearts. Father, put people around us that can see what's inside of us and begin to cultivate that and call it, call it out. Father, don't let us fall with the test of sonship. Let us trust you. Father, let us, don't fall in the trust area, but let us trust you as a good father. And Lord, Father, if it's a shortcut, if it's not the long path, it's not worth having. Anything that take anything of great wealth takes time to build. And so, Father, I thank you that this is a room full of not rich people, but of very wealthy people. Come on, how many believe that? You're wealthy. I tell my children all the time, we are absolutely wealthy. Asher goes to school and tell them his dad is wealthy. Wealth is not determined by what you have in the bank. It is something inside of you. Come on, somebody. And people of strong identity, wealth will track you down. Y'all, I'm preaching up in this room. How many want that in your life? You secure that identity and wealth will track you down. You will not have to go find it. It will track you down. We always have enough in this room. Right? We're not in the land of lack. Lord Jesus, I don't know. I'm going to just have to let y'all go rest in it. I bless you in Jesus' name. We'll see you here next Sunday. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.